listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development. Covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. It's just us two today on the Future Sox Podcast and part of Blue Wire Network and SoxMachine.com. James, always good to talk to you. There's some stuff that we have to get to, as always. You can listen to us every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast, by the way, and also subscribe to become a patron if you're willing and able at SoxMachine.com. That's how we keep going. We appreciate all of you who sign up. You get this podcast ad-free, by the way, just one of the many perks, becoming a patron to SoxMachine.com and Future Socks. All right, James, where do you want to start? We have some major league options that are happening uh, regarding bullpen construction. The White Sox made a couple of moves. I actually I want to start there, but here's some other topics that we have on tap. Kylan McDaniel and Keith Law released their top 100. Is there room to panic because Oscar Colas was not listed? We'll get to that. Uh, we also have some Quotes from Chris Getz, who spoke to the media. I have some sound that I think the listener will be very interested in hearing about top prospects and Colas and Norhe Vera, some Sean Burke stuff, and others regarding the Major League rotation and depth. So, James, let's back it up. As I mentioned, some moves going on as the White Sox acquired Franklin Germain. Uh, I think that's how you say it. Franklin German? I think it's just uh, right German, in- yeah. They're German, so right-handed relief prospect. Now, the move that took me aback was that Jason Billis was the one who was DFA'd to make room on the 40-man roster. Did you have a reaction to that? Well, I mean, I, like he's one of the one of the options. I mean, I guess there's you know, there's a person named Nicholas Padilla on the 40-man that they claimed from the Cubs like late in the season that I don't really know much about. But, you know, I mean, other than that, it's really like, you know, Bennett. Souza's like left-handed so you know I guess I just like assumed that they keep him Tanner Banks guys like that so I mean like somebody has to go so you know when I saw it I was like oh that's unfortunate because I like you know wrote about Billis last year and talked to him my guess is they probably think that he clears waivers and then they'll just outright him and then you know he just pitches at Charlotte again this year. I, I don't really, I don't know. I don't really envision anybody claiming him, but he does have options. So it could happen, I guess. I just figured considering how the White Sox put him on the 40 man roster a couple of years ago, ahead of the rule five to protect him. I know the DFA thing is kind of jarring to some, but you're right. Like not always does it mean that the person DFA is out of the organization for good. You know, he could clear waivers, accept a, an assignment to Charlotte, but to see Jason Billis's name, James, among the pitching depth, right, that's, I guess, near big league ready to to see him get DFA to clear up a spot for a player that they acquired outside the organization was noteworthy to me because, you know, we're going to hear from Chris Getz later in the episode. And as he details some of the depth the big league roster has looking, you know, down the road, and we don't know what Major League Baseball is going to do with the Mike Clevenger situation. And Davis Martin, ideally, is your sixth, maybe your fifth starter. 
Beyond that, it's Sean Burke, which we'll hear Chris Getz talk about. And I thought that it would be Jason Billis, but Billis really hasn't lived up to expectations considering the lack of success that he had over the last two seasons when he's been on the 40-man roster. So, I mean, with that being said, what's your take on just considering Jason Billis a part of this future? Yeah, I mean, so like to me, the White Sox have had a few of these moves now, and I thought we were, you know, we're going to get into it and talk about German a little bit more, but you know, they also claimed AJ Alexi like off waivers. So, you know, I, he was DFA as well. My guess is they just feel like Alexi is in front of Billis, right? Cause like, I, like I guess like Alexi could convert to relief, but he's been a starter. So my guess is he starts in Charlotte, you know, and then he's just like kind of in front of Jason Billis. I don't know what the plan is for, Jonathan Stever, that's actually one of the like small things that I'm looking for. I'm curious to see if they just like try to like make him a short inning reliever now and, and see what happens there with like some of the injuries he's had, or like if he's just gonna be back in the rotation in Charlotte. So yeah, I just I think, you know, it's just a roster crunch and for whatever reason they deemed Jason Billis expendable, but like I said, like my guess is he probably returns. So what do you think about the strategy here for the White Sox? German, Alexi added to the Major League mix. Are they serious options here? I know that we're going to learn a lot when spring training rolls around and you want to monitor performance, but you know we were talking and this is somewhat of a strategy that I think uh, you're a fan of. Yeah, I just think it's like something the team should do like every offseason. Like you just you churn through bottom of the roster guys to get a look at people that your scouts like, or I think in this instance, like your pitching coach likes, um, you know, I, I just, I'm a fan of homegrown, not even homegrown, but like cheap bullpens because they're so fickle. And that's why it's like, you know, giving three year, $24 million contracts to, you know, guys like Kendall Graveman and signing Joe Kelly. It's like, yeah, like that, that's fine. You know, as like a finishing piece for a team that you think is going to win a world series, but like you could acquire guys like that every deadline. I just tying up money and guys like that doesn't make much sense to me when you could do stuff like this all off. I mean, they just added like four guys and like, they're not all going to be good, but like maybe one of them is so German or uh, I'm going to keep doing that. Like I want to call this guy Herman, but it's, yeah. it's German. You know, he was like the minor league pitcher of the year in the Red Sox system, which look, it doesn't always mean a ton, but he was a fourth rounder of the Yankees in 2018 that was moved there um, in a deal. Like in 2022 in double A, he struck out almost 15 per nine. And then he went to triple A and struck out almost 11 per nine with, you know, not many walks and good ERAs. Like he had a good year. And that was like in his, in his transition to the bullpen. So it was like almost 50 innings out of the bullpen Four major league innings last year got absolutely torched so yeah I mean my guess is like he's gonna be a bullpen option for the White Sox he's on the 40 he will be in spring training I just think him you know with three minor league options you know I think it's a worthwhile gamble they give up a guy Theo Denlinger who you know I think we talked about after the 2021 draft he's another guy Mike that we always kind of talk about these guys that they sign for you know 10k or 30k or whatever and like they've actually been able to use some of these guys as throw-ins in trades um denlinger is a full year older than german is um and he finished the year at double a with you know okay numbers big fastball good slider 
Um, he, he's got an interesting backstory cause he's like a professional blacksmith. Um, and they took him out of Bradley as a senior, but I just think like turning a 10 K senior sign into a guy like Franklin German, who can be an up and down reliever. I think, uh, I, I just like think it's a good move. It's not, you know, I think what white Sox fans were expecting, they don't deserve over the top praise for it, but they're just like good moves that organizations should make all the time. And remember, Gregory Santos was also acquired earlier in the offseason for Cade McClure, uh, a project that ultimately, you know, didn't pan out within the White Sox organization. Doesn't mean that he can't in the future, but Santos is a guy who throws really hard. And also, too, to this point, James, Charlotte needs depth. <laughs> Charlotte needs pitching. Yeah. I mean, I think the bigger thing is just like you need up and down relievers. I meant to say right. that, you know, like you need guys on your 40 man who have options that like you could bring a guy up for a game and then send him down. Like there were so many times last year, the white Sox have pitchers just like sitting down in their bullpen, you know, hurt or not able to go because you don't have any pitchers that you can option back and forth. I mean, you have like Jimmy Lambert, I think like Matt Foster and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Tanner banks and guys like that. But you know, if, if, if you just, you have so many guys in that bullpen that were like big leaguers, right. That, you can't really send down to the minors. You can't really do anything with, right? It's either like they go on the injured list or they just like stay on the active roster or hurt for three days, essentially. So the more guys you can get like this, um, the better to just like kind of manipulate roster rules at times as well. That's a great point. And before we move on to the next topic, Kylie McDaniel and Keith Law's top 100 that include a couple of White Sox names. I just, yeah, I want to reiterate the, the significance of the Jason Billis move because Again, that was somebody who, at a time when the White Sox depth at pitching was kind of barren, they eyed him as somebody who could make the leap quickly. So not to say that he's out of the organization for good, but I'm just curious how his career develops from here as somebody who was just DFA'd ahead of spring training. This is an in-between period of their farm system. Now, I think this is a huge year for the farm system because there's a number of players who obviously are viewed highly by the organization, a lot of them participating in Project Birmingham, but they're still near the bottom of Major League Baseball's rankings across other organizational farm systems. So when you look at this, James, I think the White Sox, dating back to 2019, entering year four of what I'd like to call just like this, a transition phase of the way that they're operating and developing and identifying talent and also incorporating some new technology to help players develop. I think this is a really important year for so many prospects who have been a part of the organization for long enough for us to be critical, but also they haven't been uh, a professional player long enough for us to say, okay, this is make or break for them. There's good and bad when it comes to drafting young players. The good is obviously like you have the time to watch them develop and fail and maybe you know fix what's wrong. But also the bad is, hey, y- you need help. The White Sox need help at the big league roster. And if you're going to invest internally, going young doesn't allow you to do that, um, to take advantage of the depth unless you in previous years, had been developing talent, and that hasn't been the case. So we're at this phase now when the players that we highlight in the top 30, what Future Sox is working on, need to start showing the White Sox that they're ready, that they're close to ready, that they're on the brink of Major League action. Now, that doesn't include the two names that we're going to talk about here, James, 
in Kylie McDaniel and Keith Law's write-ups, Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos are getting love from the Athletics' Keith Law and ESPN's Kylie McDaniel. Now, we talked to both Kylie and Keith in the past. Brian Ramos has been there, and this is a guy that both Keith Law and Kylie McDaniel are really high on. I just wasn't expecting it to be like this. Yeah, I mean, for... You know, to see Kylie McDaniel's list, and I, I think it's exciting. Like you see Colson Montgomery all the way up at 15, and I think the plaudits for him have have come in pretty universally, I think. Like, you know, he's ranked kind of where we thought, like at, at Baseball America and MLB Pipeline. And then Keith Law was really high on him with good uh, scout notes, like in his, his top 100 over at The Athletic, has him at 25, and, you know, he's 15 at ESPN, which is like the highest that we've seen. But Kylie McDaniel was you know, has been high on him and was high on him during the draft, like to the point where, like, I think he kind of, you know, he, he called out some other organizations, like kind of talking about how some organizations wouldn't take Colson Montgomery because he was like 19 or 19 and a half or whatever. Right. Well, he's going to play this year at double A and he's younger than the level now, you know? So like at a certain point, that's like a little bit too much, but you know, the interesting thing that you brought up or the more interesting part, Brian Ramos, like a guy who, you know, we've liked, he he was stateside as a 17 year old. So I feel like he's been in the system for a while. He was added to the 40 man this year. Um, he's 20 years old. I think he play he'll play the whole, most of the season at 20, I believe, you know, in double a for the first time he's ranked 48th overall, according to Kylie McDaniel at ESPN, which is interesting. It said 55 or 60 grade power which is good. I think some of the concerns with Ramos were just like, does he have to move to an outfield corner or first base eventually? But scouts have kind of like said like, nah, he could probably stay at third. So what he does at Birmingham this year, you know, will be, you know, the most interesting and it'll probably, you know, offer a lot of insight into, you know, like what his path is. Right. Cause if he goes to Birmingham and hits like he, he's really close to the big leagues. So that part is interesting. You know, one other note in here from Kylie McDaniel within the write-up from Ramos, it kind of says the White Sox are trending up like on hitting development, mentioning Colson Montgomery, Ramos, Oscar Colas, and Lenin Sosa, and that's without like the mention of Jose Rodriguez as well. So, you know, while, while it's the 25th-ranked farm system, according to ESPN, there is some good. Now let's move to Colson Montgomery here because this is what Kylie McDaniel had to say in his write-up, and I just wanted to highlight this. Because a lot of the questions that we get at Future Sox regarding Colson Montgomery's projection is whether or not he can stick at shortstop and how is his power. Well, here's what Kylie McDaniel had to say as the quote is, Montgomery is a shortstop for now and will probably be fine for a while, but any team with an above average defender at short will slide Montgomery over to third, whether he's a 45 or 50 defensively at shortstop. The reason for excitement here like during that initial pitch by an agent, is that after a strong first full pro season, Montgomery may now have plus bat control, pitch selection, bat speed, and raw power. So that's what I wanted to highlight there, James, as some of these questions regarding Colson Montgomery are starting to get answered mainly because he's playing. He played a full season and he was healthy, and his size and length allows him to stay within the competition. I think he can handle anything that's thrown at him at double A at this point, which is incredibly encouraging to me because we highlight his athleticism a ton. But to hear that from Kyler McDaniel, somebody who has obviously 
watched him, followed him, and has sources who have also been following Colson Montgomery's projection. I tell you, it, it makes such a difference to see a player in person versus just seeing highlights or reading up articles. And that's why we value the opinions of Keith Law and Colson Montgomery so much and those at Baseball Prospectus as well and other outlets. To hear that makes me optimistic, and I just wonder what the White Sox want to do Obviously, they're going to you know allow him to develop at his own pace, and they're not going to force him to the south side unnecessarily. But I just keep thinking of Tim Anderson, and he's still under control, and you know the future is obviously still his at shortstop in the moment. But I just think that the White Sox are committed to Colson Montgomery as their future, either shortstop or a player that they'll you know develop and use at the big league level. Yeah, and probably like a lot sooner than we expected too. Like. You know, another interesting part from Kylie where it says like, you know, the first time he saw him or, you know, like an agent showed him video of him like after his sophomore year. And, you know, Kylie called it the one of the more powerful and beautiful lefty swings that he'd ever seen from a player that age. And he didn't know his name. And but he thought it was like a positive that he didn't know his name just because essentially he like, you know, we talked about all this stuff, but he wasn't playing summer baseball because he was a six foot four point guard in Indiana that was getting like D1 basketball looks. So you just like never know, right? With you talk about these athletes and then they, you know, eventually commit to one sport. And then all of a sudden he really took off, you know, like there were local ties. There was the, the mention of Corey Seager, which sometimes is like, you know, this throwaway line. Right. But in this case, like the local ties were a good thing. And the Corey Seager mention isn't a throwaway thing. It's like a legit comparison if he continues to do what he's done so far. Yeah, I, we've always been a fan of the way Colson Montgomery has been written up about his patience, you know, his knowledge of the strike zone, his discipline. But to hear that you have barrel control within the zone and he's showing power now, and he obviously is athletic enough to handle shortstop at the minor league affiliates that he's been a part of so far is just super encouraging and you can't help but get excited because when there's a shortstop like that in your system and then you look behind him and there's guys like Lenin Sosa, Brian Ramos, Jose Rodriguez, and even Yolbert Sanchez and Romy Gonzalez, we didn't even mention Jordan Sprinkle. You know, I like to just throw that name in there as well because of you know just the brief amount of time that he spent in his draft year at a, at a low-level affiliate highlighting his defensive prowess, the athleticism. It's not somebody that should be high on your radar at this point. Just know that a guy like Jordan Sprinkle's there. Anyway, James, as I finish up my rambling, was there anything else that jumped off the page at you from Keith Law or Kylie McDaniel about their write-ups regarding Brian Ramos and Montgomery? No, I don't think so. Not those guys, you know, specifically. But, I mean, you know, like Kylie... Kylie ranked the systems. Well, I think they both did. Keith Law had the White Sox at 28, which, you know, I think we've seen them bottom five. Um, Kylie McDaniel had them 25. So he just like liked them a little bit more, you know, and, you know, he kind of talked about the guys that they've produced recently and Garrett Crochet and Dylan Cease and Andrew Vaughn and, you know, those, those types of things. And then he said the good news is Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos, and then he mentions Oscar Colas as a borderline guy, and Noah Schultz, who could be a star if it all clicks. But you know, he kind of said that you know the bad news is it's basically those four, and then a lot of question marks. So, like, kind of going back to what you were talking about, like, I think there's an area here where like people look at it and they think that the White Sox system should be better, and like I like 
I don't disagree, but you look at 2019 and you kind of look at the strategy that they employed and they took Andrew Vaughn with a, with a high pick and he's in the majors. Um, and I think we're hoping, you know, that he's a little bit better than he's been obviously, but then you go with three straight prep picks and you pay all of them over slot, right? One of the pitchers in Matthew Thompson has, is, is trending up while Andrew Dahlquist, you know, is trending down. And then you use a pick on, on a guy like James Beard, who, you know, hasn't really done much. Then the thing that really hurts is five round draft in 2020, where really the only thing you have to show for that is Garrett Crochet, who's out with Tommy John surgery. And then look, I think I think the 2021 and 2022 drafts like look pretty good. And 2021 might bear fruit shortly with you know, Sean Burke playing in the majors and we just caught, talked about Colson Montgomery. So like, I, I think they're on the right track, but I think when you look back at 19 and 20 and some of like the strategies that were employed, good or bad, you know, it's just one reason why the farm system hasn't jumped very much. That's James Fox. I'm Mike Rankin. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we have more on the Future Sox podcast, specifically some quotes from Chris Getz. You'll want to hear what he has to say about some of the names that we talk about all the time. So stick with us. If you're a Patreon member, hey, we'll come right back for you. Otherwise, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Future Sox podcast. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back. We're getting closer to spring training. Can't wait. Pitchers and catchers report in a week, a week plus. Man, it's already happening. We get to look forward to mitts popping and bats hitting baseballs. So cool. Really exciting, right? I mean, I don't know how you're feeling about this season, James. A lot of the wind is taken out of the White Sox sales at the big league club, but the minor league side is like we've been talking about this all year and throughout this podcast specifically. It's a massive year for the organization. I want to see a lot of these players take the next step. And one of those includes Oscar Colas. And we didn't even talk about Oscar Colas in our last discussion, the Kylie McDaniel and Keith Law write-ups, because he wasn't mentioned. Were you surprised about that? So I guess I'm not terribly surprised. Like I thought he might end up on the back of a list, like maybe for Kylie McDaniel. And I know that Keith Law like saw Oscar Colas and said nice things about him, which is, you know, I was kind of like, oh, that's good, right? But I care much more about that than I do his top 100 ranking. Like, you know, Keith Law kind of said that he he thinks that Oscar Colas is kind of like a safe regular and put a 50 on him. I mean, that that's fine with me. Like, I just generally think that those two guys, you know, they really look at future value in a way that, 
you know, they skew towards younger prospects and the fact that Oscar Colas is 24, like doesn't really help him that much. So yeah, look, I mean, I guess like you'd always like just some more, it's not even certainty, right? Be like, say, Oh, he's on all these top 100 lists. Like he's on a couple, but both of those guys, I think, think that he's a big league contributor. So that's fine. Like it, it doesn't really matter that he wasn't on the top 100 lists, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other Oscar Colas, uh, discourse out there that I think we've we've seen over the last week as well yeah and it's such a focus because you know the big league club is where they are right now and it's unfair to place all of these expectations on a first year major league player one who's been in stateside for a year plus a couple of seasons and you know before that yes he played professionally it's just allow this guy to work and you know we, we talked to those in the past who suggest that Charlotte is an option for him like right away, which I don't, James, I, I am of the opinion uh, of not really caring where Oscar Colas begins because I am convinced that Oscar Colas is going to have 400 plate appearances at the big league, um, on the big league roster this year, if he's healthy. So if he starts at the big league club, fine. But if not, he's still going to be a a pretty significant contributor because that's what the organization is intimating. Yeah, no, he he's going to be a big part of this thing this year. And like I said, I think we've differed a little bit. And then, you know, we kind of talked to, you know, our colleagues about it. And Jim and Josh talked about it, like on their podcast. Like, it's just, it's such a weird thing, right? And we read all the quotes from Andy Barquette and others. And to me, it just seems like, look, I don't think Oscar Colas is immature, right? It, it doesn't come off that way, but it comes off as he's so confident that, he thinks he's better than who he's playing, right? That maybe some of the stuff that'll make him a good big leaguer, like gets lost, you know, with, you know, your game planning and going out and getting your extra hitting and like following like the, the plan at the plate and that type of stuff that's out there. Like maybe that stuff never really takes hold in the minor leagues because it just like kind of doesn't really have to because of the bat speed and, whatever. Mm -hmm. We kind of talked about this in our last episode. Like, is that something that truly is only going to be learned in the majors and we're going to have to deal with the growing pains? You know, I like with what you said, like, I agree, like 400 plus plate appearances in the majors. Like how long are we even talking about in Charlotte? Like, even if, even if he goes down, like it's like a couple of weeks and I expect him to perform and then he's back up. That's why I just like kind of think it, it doesn't really matter, but yeah, I mean, it'll be one of the more interesting storylines in spring training because you would think that if he does anything positive, he's the right fielder. Yeah, or, you know, the White Sox want to play it safe, allow him to get into baseball rhythm, play in a warmer environment and climate and come up, you know, after he's notched a, a couple of at-bats under his belt. I mean, this is something that I think we're overthinking. I think Oscar Colas is a big leaguer. It's just... You know, I think it's overstated whether or not he's the opening day right fielder. I think he is going to be a massive contributor. And the White Sox internally, like without Colas, have options that'll get him by for now. It's just the way this roster's built, man. They're, you know, they're not a complete roster at this point, especially considering how much stock we're putting into a guy who's only been stateside for a couple of years. So I with that said, considering what we know about Colas's approach, Chris Getz did speak on that in this cut. Just a consistent approach at the plate. You know, he can do some special things from at bat to at bat. Um, but, you know, you've got someone on the mound that, you know, know understands your tendencies. 
Um, so it's a bit of a cat and mouse game at times. And you get understand what he's trying to do and understand what your strengths are as well. And you have to stay disciplined. And he's shown signs of that in the past. We've certainly preached, you know, a consistent approach for him to have, you know, success at the major league level. And we'll see how he takes to that. I know he's worked really hard this offseason. He spent time with Jose Castro, uh, Mike Tozar and Pedro um, and Danny Santine down in Florida. We just saw him recently at a mini camp in Arizona. He's in very good shape. You can tell he's he's really dialed in and excited to, to have a productive year. So, James, you heard Chris Getz say it. This is something that has been noted. I don't think it's newsworthy whatsoever, to be honest with you. But that's what Chris Getz thinks. He says that the approach needs to be fine-tuned, and that's what we know. So as we move forward, you know, Oscar Colas is a big deal. But what about the starting pitching depth? We talked about Jason Billis. Uh, not to say that he's not going to be a part of it in the future. It's just he's not among the initial uh, players you know, first up. Those who are, though, Sean Burke. Sean Burke is getting a lot of love, James. Yeah, James Fegan wrote something as well, like uh, Sunday, um, you know, just didn't talk to him. And, you know, Sean Burke had a pretty good year. There's a lot of stuff in there about just him talking to his father, who's like been, you know, one of his like go-tos for a while. And also like Everett Tiford, like they added some changes to him. And, you know, one thing that I thought was interesting in the piece from Fegan just kind of talked about, like he could have got minor league hitters out going fastball slider, I believe. And instead he was like working on his four pitch mix and he got hit a little harder because of it. And, you know, which are things that are good that I think we always kind of take note of, like what are guys working on in the minor leagues? You know, it's important not to just look at stat lines and stuff sometimes for like that reason. But yeah, I mean, Sean Burke's going to go to Charlotte. I don't know how Charlotte's going to treat him because it does not treat pitchers well. Um, But at this point, like, like I think we should be expecting to see Sean Burke in the big leagues. And even if he's like a back end starter, it's pretty good for, you know, $900,000 third round pick in 2021. I mean, he, he wasn't in the minors very long. And then clearly, like you mentioned Thompson, who was, you know, a second round pick in 2019 out of a Texas high school. He's had his own struggles as well, but he's always kind of been known as the most athletic pitcher in the system. Um, like, I'm curious to see where they start him. My guess is he goes mm-hmm. to Birmingham, but that doesn't mean that if they need a spot start, like it's not Thompson. Like it might be Thompson over, you know, another Stever starter. You know, I know Getz mentioned some of these other non-roster type guys that they brought in, like Nate Fisher and some of these other guys, right? But I mean, I think if Thompson fares well, you know, it's a, he's Rule 5 eligible in December. Like, I, I could see that happening too. So I would think, like, those are the two immediate names along with that recent waiver claim, AJ Alexi. You know, we'll see if they do anything else, but it just it doesn't seem like it. It kind of seems like it's going to be the Davis Martin show and then these guys kind of behind him. Here's what Chris Getz had to say about Sean Burke. Sean is a good size, right-handed starter. I, I'm going to say he's 6'5", 6'6". You know, I like his delivery. He's put together. Uh, he repeats the delivery very well. Uh, he's got a power fastball. Uh, he can land an above-average breaking ball. Uh, his slider continues to get better. Um, I know he's he's a guy that's been working hard with his changeup as well. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that's going to be able to, you know, add innings. You know, last year he had a very productive year. You know, certainly one of our better starters in the minor leagues and, and worked his way up to AAA. 
Um, but he's a guy that, that you know, we view as a, a rotation piece, you know, fairly soon and can be for, for the foreseeable future. So uh, we're excited for, for Sean's 2023. It seems like an endorsement to me, James, a guy with a fastball that plays in the majors and you heard the number of pitches that he has in his arsenal. It sounds like a big league pitcher to me. So we're going to monitor Sean Burke closely, very closely, because, yeah, we'll probably see him on the south side this year, which is really cool. Here's something that I wanted to bring to the air as well. Um, Two more cuts for you. One is on a pitcher that we have both been pretty excited about, and it's a wait and see game with this player because... I I want him to develop as a starting pitcher, but last year in a limited amount of innings kind of suggested that he may top out as a back-end bullpen piece. Of course, I'm talking about Norhe Vera. Now, the, Chris Getz was asked about Norhe Vera, and I'd like for you to hear what he had to say. Norhe's had a nice offseason. He, he spent a lot of time in Arizona working on his body, his strength and conditioning. You know, he's often running on his strength and conditioning program or in his buildup for spring training. And, you know, last year there was a bit of a hiccup with his lat prior to uh, getting spring training started. So felt like it was very important to be very close to him during the offseason to avoid any hiccups. Um, he's done very well. Last year he was able to get some innings under his belt, not as many as we would have liked, obviously, with the lat injury, but um, still a solid foundation. He performed very well um, at Low A Canapolis and got a, a taste of Winston-Salem and even Birmingham as part of that project. I want to want to continue to to add innings and and add to that workload. Um, he's he's a guy that you know it's a easy arm action, effortless velocity. He's got a good changeup. He's had an effective breaking ball. We want to tighten the breaking ball a little bit, um, but he's a, a multiple pitch right handed starter that is physically gifted. Um, and and look forward to you know getting him rolling here shortly in spring. A multiple pitch right handed starter, James. Let's go. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, we we ranked him super high last year, and then the injuries killed him. I mean, he, 35 and a third innings pitched last year, you know, I think is the biggest key here. Like, he has to obviously at least double that. And I don't even know, like, you, I know you have thoughts on, on this type of stuff. Like, what, like, what is even realistic? Like, can he get to 100, like, safely? Is that, like, fair to, like, send him to Winston-Salem and – not don't really care that much about the results, but like just throw a hundred innings, please. Like that, that's like a goal for 2023. I mean, he should be strong enough to handle a full minor league season as a starting pitcher at this point. It's just, what are the hiccups that come in between starts and do the white Sox want to make sure that they're, they're giving him planned time off because you don't, I don't think you necessarily have to baby this guy. I think he's strong enough to handle it as long as he's just not injury prone, James. Because he's old enough. Yeah, I mean he'll be he'll be twenty three in June, and I think it's worth it, you know, to keep running him out there as a starter. I don't think we're at the point yet where it's like, you know, you fast track him to the big league bullpen or something like that. Doesn't make any sense. Like he's you know he's older, but he's still you know just twenty two. So yeah, I mean you know the other curious thing there is like does he go back to Winston. He, he don't, I think he only threw like three innings at Winston Salem, I believe. So I, I don't know, like, do you send him back there or do you, do you push to Birmingham with some of these other guys? Like, and yeah, I think it know, makes, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world to start him at Winston and let him pitch, just pitch because that's where he's at in his career at this point, James. And here's one more thing that I wanted to bring to the air before we wrap up this podcast and credit to the beat. Thanks to the Chicago White Sox beat. 
for talking to Chris Getz about a lot of the prospects, the core prospects that are happening, uh, that are developing, I should say, in the White Sox minor league system. He was asked, Chris Getz was, about Project Birmingham, and this is really the first time that we've heard him talk about it since it happened throughout the season. So here's what he had to say now that the season's over and we're seeing the results of some of the players, how they responded in the offseason that he's been working with closely. I thought it was a, uh, a special opportunity to, to take advantage of where our players were at in our system. Obviously a bit unique, not something that we've done in the past. I feel like it really gave us some momentum this offseason. Um, and I think the, the feedback we've gotten from the players and staff that were involved in that has been really positive. And, you know, most importantly, motivating for our players. Uh, they've done really well with their offseason training. A lot of players are, are working their way in Arizona or have been in Arizona. Um, they're still talking about their experience in Birmingham and hopefully position them well for for productive spring training and season. I think it's going to give it's going to uh, give a lot of players confidence um, for players that are going to be weren't going to touch Birmingham last year or players that played in Birmingham that perhaps are starting in Winston-Salem or Kannapolis uh, just to get that that glimpse and experience at a higher level, um, I think, is going to give them a chance to, to start off on the right foot. And, you know, they know where the ballpark is. They know what that level looks like. And I think, uh, you know, is something that can really take and help their careers. So he's kind of echoed what we've been talking about. And that's really, I mean, this isn't anything that we heard directly from him. Like he wasn't telling us, but that was essentially how we felt about Project Birmingham, just a test for these young players and to hear, you know, his perspective. Fine. That's great. Now let's see him perform. Yeah, and it it really doesn't seem like something that they're gonna do again, does it? Like, right. like I think it was very influenced by like we talked a lot about the the high school players that they've added and you know, without an advanced rookie ball now, like there were just a lot of prospects like in Kannapolis and Winston, and then you had a super college heavy draft of guys that you didn't necessarily want to leave in Arizona. So what was like their most ideal way to let some of these draft picks play like in Kannapolis and Winston was to just like move a bunch of guys together to Birmingham. I just like, don't think this is something that they're necessarily going to do again. I guess it just like, they kind of thought it made sense last year. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like we'll see the guys who really benefit from this. And then we'll also see like, if it really had a negative effect on anybody either. I think one of the interesting guys, Wilfred Varis, who've, you know, we've talked about it and it's kind of gone under the radar and he's playing outfield now, which, which helps him. That's a guy who went up to double A and actually did perform, you know, and I, you know, he was in Kannapolis and totally skipped Winston. So there's all these guys where I'm very curious to see placements and where they're going to be and what team they're going to start on. Because when you look at a, when you just look at their page on fan graphs or whatever, you see that they ended in Birmingham. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to like go back to Birmingham because of project Birmingham. Wilfred Ferris, very big boy, strong, looking forward to his season. And a lot of these seasons, James, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I mean, spring training's so close. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's close. And I'm excited. Look, I like you made a comment about how it's not exciting in the big league team. And I look, I completely understand it, especially with what you do as a day job weekly, but, (laughs) Like, man, like, I just want to see these, like, they're all going to be healthy, you would think, to start at least. So it's like, man, there's like a lot of talent on this White Sox team. Like, I actually think spring training could be fun because, you know, the the dread and the running to first base and getting hurt type stuff, like, ha- won't have happened yet. 
But, you know, I guess like my final thought for you, how did we get 42 and a half minutes in and you didn't mention the Peyton Paulette video? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Like, I was texting James about this uh, when I was because there was a, a video posted. Uh, I think it was by Peyton Paulette's camp and I couldn't stop watching Peyton Paulette highlights. I mean, I just I think Peyton Paulette could skyrocket behind Nola Schultz's. I mean, even ahead of. Christian Mena and that's future Sox listeners know how I feel about Christian Mena. I think Peyton Paulette might be the second best pitching prospect in the organization. And the kid looks like a big league pitcher already. And he's yet to pitch in the white Sox organization. He spent a year away, obviously because of Tommy John surgery and James, when we were covering the draft, you said it, this is a first round talent, but because of the injury, he was pushed back and the white Sox were able to snag him. And after watching that video to see him pitch, Current day, he looks healthy. He looks strong. I love the way his slider is working. His fastball has life. His fastball also has arm side run, so he's got two variations. And he's strong. Like This is a kid whose mechanics are so clean with a full season, really not having to put his body through the rigor of a whole season of pitching. He looks like he's ready to take on a full season of professional baseball. I can't wait. Yeah, he's interesting. You mentioned, you know, that he could be the second best pitching prospect. You know, most of the draft outlets had him ahead of Noah Schultz. So, you know, like Schultz has been around. I think, you know, like most people have ranked him higher now and because of where he went. But yeah, definitely first round talent. That's a guy who is going to be probably a top 20 pick out of Arkansas and then got hurt. Doesn't look hurt anymore. I'm sure there'll be some sort of innings restriction. But yeah, interesting. I hope he can go right out to Canapolis to start the year. That would be fun. I can't wait to see what the White Sox do with Noah Schultz as well. Big fan of pitching, and there's some intriguing arms. And you mentioned Matthew Thompson. He's had a slow progression since he was drafted, but the way that Chris Getz was talking about him, it seems like they're believing that he's close. And maybe, to me, he's a year away. But if the White Sox believe that, like you said, James, earlier in the episode, that if they need somebody to fill an inning or two, and they believe Matthew Thompson's capable, he's going to be up. And I think it'd be premature to see him in the big leagues this year. But again, I'm not there watching him pitch, and I'm not there evaluating the strides that he's made in the offseason, so he could surprise all of us. That's somebody that should definitely be on Sox fans' radar, uh, along with others uh, on this year. So, James, good stuff, fun. I'm glad that you're excited about the big league roster. (laughs) It's easy to be pessimistic about the 2023 White Sox, but I think it's unfair. It is unfair for me to say that, you know, it's easy for me to say that with the Mike Clevenger situation and the lack of um, talent, I guess you could say uh, in the free agent market and the trade market to address areas of need potentially, but the budget is still 190 million. There are still players like Yuan Mukata, Tim Anderson, Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Yasmani Grandal on this roster, Andrew Vaughn. I mean, that's a lot of good pieces, plus the rotation with a healthy Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease, who was a Cy Young candidate. I mean, you can list it, go on and on. The White Sox could be good, but, you know, probably won't be because of the way things turn out all the time for us. I shouldn't say that. That's unfair. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I'm glad you agree. Thank you to the Future Sox listener for hanging out with us. And thanks for always being with us from when we started, James and I, uh, in the 2019 season, you know, the off season of 2019 to today. It's crazy to think that another season's about to get going and uh, to see the strides that Future Sox has made 
within its ranks. You know, we see a lot of the writers contributing. I'm looking forward to the top 30 to be dropped, uh, as well as what Sox Machine continues to churn out, and that's quality content. So stick with us. It'll be a ride for the 2023 season. Really appreciate all the support. My name is Mike Rankin for James Fox. Thanks so much for listening to the Future Sox podcast every Tuesday, brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. We'll talk to you all next week.